Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems. In this episode of Talking Robots, we interview Frédéric Caplon, who is researcher at the Craft at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. From making curious IBOs and modern art robotic computers to furniture curiosities, Caplan has been focusing on the design of interactive systems, which can be used in our everyday environment in a natural manner. If only my computer could nod to that. Hi Frédéric, welcome to Talking Robots. Hello. When working for Sony a couple years back, one of your biggest achievements was to program a curious IBO robot capable of open-ended learning. What does it mean to create a curious robot? So um, when we were working um, for Sony, one of the big um, issues was to have the robot interesting in the long run. I mean, we could have the, um, the eyeball uh, uh, staying interesting over weeks, uh, over months. And uh, obviously, as the eyeball was not really doing anything useful, uh, it was just like entertaining. One big challenge was to have its behavior changing. And one thing that we were exploring exploring was how actually we can uh, have the robot learning more and more things over time in a kind of incremental manner. So uh, a lot of progress has been done in AI about learning uh, one task, one thing at a time. But there was a challenge in actually having a robot that would be capable of learning several things um, in a kind of incremental manner. So that's how we started to work on on curiosity. I mean, having a kind of... uh, internal force that will push the robot to learn new things over time. And uh, and the idea was to start with something that would be like a kind of reinforcement learning architecture where you have some form of reward and the robot actually is trying to optimize this reward, except that the reward will not come externally. Uh, there will be some like um, more like intrinsic reward. I mean, reward that the robot will give it to itself and that will push... Uh, Uh, itself to learn more and more things uh, over time. Just to make this clear for everyone, can you maybe present the IBO to us? Yeah, so the IBO is a, it's a four-legged robot uh, with a lot of sensors, there are some accelerometers, there's a camera on the nose, so it's It was a very, very nice platform to test this thing. I mean, it has a pretty uh, interesting perspective on its own environment, and it has uh, something like 20 degrees of freedom. So that was that was a very good platform to um, to to test this different type of uh, um, of algorithms. And the fact that it was meant to be just an entertainment robot, not a useful robot, that was also a big chance to explore some um, algorithms that may not have been necessarily very interesting from a pure useful point of view but that could be entertaining uh, and that would and in situation where learning would in, in itself would be the interesting part so the motivation for sony was basically to have a robot which would be unpredictable so that the user would see this robot and this robot would always try to learn and do new things yeah so not really unpredictable but that you would see that the robot will learn over time uh, based on its history and basically that you will i mean you will over over days over weeks see it uh, getting um, getting new skills maybe i should explain a bit more about how it was it was working <laughs> inside i mean the whole idea about this um, this curiosity system was that the robot would be capable 
of evaluating its own learning. Basically, um, you can imagine that the robot has a form of prediction system where it basically tries to predict all the time what are the effects of its action. If it's move its arm, uh, what will it feel? If it's move its head in one direction, what will it seize? And it does that all the time, basically. And, um, and you can use different techniques. I mean, most of the state-of-the-art machine learning techniques, neural networks or other type of techniques works very well for that. When you get, basically, the... You do the prediction, when you get the answer, you, it's more or less matches and you get an error based on this. And that, uh, that is how the system is adapting and progressively trying to predict better. And the whole idea was to, on top of, of this very classical prediction system, to build a meta-prediction system. Basically a system that will be capable of um, modeling how well the system was learning. I mean, not predicting uh, the effect of the action, but modeling uh, whether the eyeball was actually learning well or not. I mean, and trying to predict the evolution of the, of the error curve. And so um, the whole idea that the robot will be motivated by looking for what we call progress niches, I mean, situation where actually it would expect to learn something based on what he has done previously. So not situation in which he knew already before, I mean, the... Uh, um, <clears throat> the uh, the outcome of a situation. I mean, if it predicts very well, if the error is very low, then this is not interesting. If it predicts very badly, I mean, in the sense that whatever it does is completely unpredictable, this is not interesting either. What interests that robot was a situation where it was actually learning in which the error was decreasing over time. And that was that, that's main motivation for curiosity. In your experiments, you put the robot in a playpen and let it interact with its environment. Uh, what did this robot do? So, yeah, so that was one experience we, we conducted with um, my colleague Pierre Ivoudeye uh, uh, on this topic. And uh, we, we put the robot in a kind of yeah, play mat where there was different type of toys uh, around. And it could do different type of movement, uh, try to bite uh, in some direction, try to uh, punch in different direction, emit sounds and this type of thing. And we just let the robot uh, evolve in, in that environment and just observe it. And uh, what was very interesting is that after, if you let the robot like for several hours, after a few hours, it will actually discover first that there are some repetitive action that lead to some progress in general. Like if you bite several times or if you punch in different direction, uh, actually sometimes it has an, an effect and it's learning. And so it was, at the beginning, it was acting very randomly, but progressively, it was kind of doing these action consistently, but not necessarily towards specific parts of the environment. Uh, it was like biting in every direction and sometimes it was producing an effect, but that was not very efficient, but that was something he discovered first. And then he discovered that there were some particular zones in its environment where actually this type of action had more effect, uh, typically where the object was. He didn't have any notion of object at the beginning. So, so he discovered that if you do actually some biting and some bashing basically uh, near uh, uh, one toy, for instance, that was producing more effect. And he was do doing that repeatedly, but not really associating one particular action to one particular toy. He was actually trying to bite uh, the, the, the bashable object and vice versa. Um, and again, if you, after something like six hours, he discovered that actually if you bite the biteable object, you have much more effect and interesting uh, effect than if you bash the bashable object than if you do the reverse. And, and start to do this kind of consistently learn basically how to use this object, although he was never motivated by really trying to use them. He just was just trying to have interesting effect on its environment. 
And uh, interestingly, it had also the possibility of emitting sound. And there was another robot in the environment that was responding to this sound, but in a rather complex manner. And that type of sensory motor interaction was much more complex than the others. So during the first um, eight hours, it would just not use these sounds uh, at all, uh, because that was just completely unpredictable. But once the rest of the, of the object in the environment were kind of mastered, he starts using sound a lot and, and continue interacting with the other robot and discovering that other modality. So really, we, what we saw with this type of experiment is, is really kind of organized pattern of exploration of the environment, starting by what is easiest to learn first and then learning what is, uh, uh, what is more difficult uh, from the robot point of view later. And also, um, and that's, that's also what is interesting, some type of pattern that looks really like the development of a child, like uh, what uh, Piaget described, uh, assimilation and accommodation. You find something very similar in this First, this possibility, you know, like when a child discovers that he can bang objects, for instance, it's, it try it take an object in its arm and it just like banging and this usually produces sound. And it does that with different type of objects like a uh, um, wooden block or a toy and, and this is producing the same kind of effect. And maybe you will try at some point with an egg. And if you do that with an egg, the, the egg will crash just. And that will be a way by this action to kind of cut out the world into different objects. And that's something we were observing with, with that experiment. So we were kind of excited uh, with, uh, with this type of result, yeah. So the behaviors between the Aibo and the child do sound similar, but do you think it can actually help you understand what's happening in a child's brain? It's, it's, what is interesting is that we can understand doing this type of experiments how actually the body of a robot, which is very different from the body of a child, actually shape the developmental trajectories. I mean, how, if you give the robot longer arms or if you give the robot another uh, possibilities, how actually it will create another, another trajectory. So the idea is not really to build a robotic child or to really mimic what the, the, um, the, how the child is really uh, developing, but to understand something which is really mysterious from a developmental point of view is how actually you can have on the one hand a process which is highly dependent on, exper on experience. I mean, obviously the ch what the child learns is, is depending on its environment and all the children are educated in very different environments with different type of parents. And, and nevertheless, there's some very strong regularities in this pattern. Most children learn how to walk after more or less one year. In the not completely independently of whether they've been stimulated or not, but nevertheless, there's this big regularity. And, and where does these irregularities are coming from? Uh, are they what, genetic and whatever that means? Here, we can start to have a way of exploring that by having this possibility of having, on the one hand, uh, some form of um, algorithm which is very general and independent of a particular body, and then different types of body and show how actually the, the embodiment is shaping the developmental trajectory and produce regularity independently of the particular environmental condition. So I think it opens some very interesting um, experimental avenue and some way of testing new theory, uh, not really for mimicking exactly how the child is, uh, is developing, but to understand better this type of dynamics. You were explaining before that the IBO sort of learns uh, simpler behaviors and then more and more complex behaviors with sound. Does it get bored of these initial behaviors once it masters them? Exactly. That's, that's the whole idea of curiosity is that, I mean, it always tries to be at the limit of what it knows and what it doesn't know. It will try to look for what it thinks is the, 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 the next progress niche, what it can learn. And obviously what he has mastered is, is not interesting for it anymore. And so it's, in some way it's bored about that. Yeah. Hmm. 
In more general robotics, do you see an application for curiosity? I can imagine that most people don't want their robots to be curious because then they'll be uh, sort of unpredictable. They might get bored of driving us around, etc. Uh, obviously, you don't want curious robot for any very important serious task where actually a robot would would need to to perform something very rapidly and which is very important. Um, it's interesting in different in different domain. One domain is the domain of exploration in general, when you have a large uh, set of data or when you have actually a situation where experiments are costly. And it's actually very linked with a, a domain in economics, which is called the domain of optimal theory about optimal experiments, where you imagine a situation where you, can ask, you cannot ask a lot of questions because it's costly to ask questions because you cannot board people or because you have to make a chemical experiment, which is costly. What is the best question to ask to an environment based on, on the previous history? And that's ex almost exactly the same type of questions um, we ask with the type of algorithms we build. Uh, this, uh, this possibility to, um, uh, to, 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 based on the history, to try to, to be as relevant as possible in asking a question. So there's several domains where actually this type of algorithm can be used for this. And obviously there is entertainment, which is ma my main interest in that, where you actually would want actually device that change over time, that learns things over time, that gets more complex over time in a kind of open-ended manner. And for this, uh, uh, obviously this type of uh, open-ended uh, algorithms are interesting. From the Ibo playpen, we'll go a bit to the human playpen, since uh, now you have a new robot, which is the Muse at the Museum of Modern Arts in, uh, in New York, and which is playing around with people, basically. Uh, can you maybe present the WizKid to us? Yeah, so the WizKid is, is, I mean, after basically Sony decided to, to stop the Ibo, uh, I moved to EPFL, and, and I wanted to do something in the line of what I was doing previously, but not maybe anymore with zoomorphic robots or anthropomorphic robots. I was thinking it was actually possible to have a robot that would have a presence, that would interact with people in a very interesting way, but that would not so much look like a little dog or a little child. And that's the whole idea about the WizKid, on which I've been working with um, a designer since the beginning, uh, which um, called Martino Desposito. And um, the WizKid is like a robotic computer. It's a kind of screen that can move, uh, not move in, uh, in, um, in a room really, but, but orient itself in different direction and have a, come, a kind of body language when it's kind of expressive. In, it's kind of a, a screen on the, on the robotic neck, if you want. And basically, when you approach the... That, that machine, it, it has a, a camera mounted on top and it tracks uh, people. And so it will, it will basically track you. If there are different people in the room, it will look at, at the different person. At the, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, there's like a crowd. So it just like switch between different people which, which, are, which are around. And um, basically you interact with it by some form of augmented reality in the sense that you see yourself in, in that particular screen uh, like in an augmented mirror, you see yourself and around you, you will have some interactive elements like widgets, like small buttons appearing. And just by waving your arms, you can select them and, um, and do different type of things. So you can interact almost and do many things you can do with a general graphical user interface of a computer, except that there's no mouse, there's no keyboard, and you can do that from a distance and don't touch the computer because the, the computer is following you. You look at, the, at that particular computer from, uh, uh, let's say, two meters, or you can even continue moving while you're interacting with it, and you just interact by, by waving your hands uh, and selecting commands that way. So removing the keyboard and the mouse, yeah. do you think this helps humans interact in a more natural way with, way with the robot? Uh, it's, it's actually... Um, 
especially if you look at the evolution of computers, that's that's a way to to attack some particular task that we're doing now with computers, for which I think the computer is not really adapted anymore. I mean, the computer has been used in our life in, in more and more uh, context. And now we're using for playing music, for seeing photos, for very casual things. Uh, which do not necessarily need like a keyboard uh, and actually going towards, I mean, the computer is put in a different place in your home. You have to go there. You have to to to, um, to interact with it in a very uh, constrained manner. And that's not so nice to play music or to or to just browse about some photos, to think, do things, um, play some small games, and things which are very casual. So for all this... Um, giving the possibility of the interactivity to come towards you and not you coming towards the computer, I think that's that's very useful. I don't think actually that this type of robotic computer will replace existing computers. And obviously, if, if you write a text or if you're doing something which is very intense, the computer is a very nice tool because you can just be immersed in, 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 the, in that particular world and, and the rest of the world disappear around you when you interact with the computer. But the... Um, in the case of the uh, uh, of more casual thing where you want to continue to interact with people in the room, then the, uh, the this type of uh, social robotic computer is interesting. At the moment, what type of interactions did you see between the computer and the and the public? So, so what the the the, the whiskey does at the moment is when people arrive, uh, it it first it tracks them and it has a form of, of body language, and then it asks them some visual questions. Typically, if if you come. Two by two, it sees that there are two faces, and it will kind, it will kind of be a pop-up button appearing that asks you with some icon to specify the relationship between these two people. Are you friends or enemy? And if your friends is more like uh, uh, love or friendship, I mean, this kind of with, with, with some small funny icons, and and people that just answer by waving their their arms. So so basically, the whole idea is that um, the whisked is interesting in understanding more about the people around. And uh, and so, depending on whether it's a group or one person, it will ask different questions, and it will also remember the the faces of people that that he meets. So so when you come back, he can actually continue the conversation where you have uh, left it. So um, so this is the the application we thought for that particular settings, which is a, a museum where you have a lot of people uh, that that are coming um, that are new every day, and 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 so we we needed to have something which was kind of general and for which you have like uh, not a very long type of interaction, but really the idea behind this object is is really something more for the home where actually there's a family there's uh, five six people that interact with the device very regularly and really the device knows these people very well i mean in the sense that it recognizes their face well it knows their habits and and they interact in different ways with the system and they use basically the whiskey mainly as um as the main interface for their home entertainment for playing music for playing uh, for um um, controlling other device in the house, etc. Is the WitKit curious in the same way the Ibo was? For the moment, basically what it does is is two things. It's it's that kind of um, building a kind of history of of each encounter it has and associated with the person it has. And based on this, uh, we can progressively reintroduce the type of algorithms we we were developing for the Ibo by having the possibility of predicting. Uh, the behavior of each person and then having the robot maybe uh, trying to do um, some anticipation uh, of this and uh, and and for this the the curiosity algorithm will be useful there's an issue which is that um, with the whisket we we have something which is which has a present but which is also a useful 
uh, element that you will use actually to control your house. So it's not pure entertainment. And so in order, and you never know, I mean, how much people would want some form of autonomy of that device or not. And to solve that, that issue, which I think is a very important issue for, for robotics in general and for home robotics, um, we introduce a slider. There's no button on the WizKid except one, which is a slider controlling actually the level of autonomy of the device, the level of curiosity. If you put it at the minimum, it's really like a tool, an instrument, a device. It does nothing by itself. You interact with it like, like a, a standard interface, I would say. If you progressively switch that slider a bit more, uh, then it will progressively uh, be a bit more expressive. It will uh, start... Um, uh, suggesting you some uh, uh, some uh, possibilities of uh, of music, some possibilities of videos, etc. And if you put that at maximum, then start to be really curious in the same sense that we were discussing before, making its own experiments about the environment. And it depends on the moment of the day. I mean, you may want actually to test this 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 very autonomous mode in some cases, but you stay in the house to check it does actually what it what it wants to do, or you want to show that to your friend. Uh, but in other cases, you really don't want that that robot to be so present and just you put it it's so it's really at the minimum so it's really like the volume of of a hi-fi you 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 have a direct control on the ai and it's and it's actually embodied in a button you just spoke of the ai on the technical side why what is the ai behind the whiskid so so the whiskid for the moment is using um traditional machine learning uh for the moment we're exploring different type of um of techniques uh, and 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 I'm going now more towards rule-based system uh, in order to have something that people can understand. I mean, I think it's very important that um, in some way the type of learning that such a device does is as is is kind of transparent for the user that he can actually understand what why why the device is reacting in a given way and that he and that he can in some way browse into the type of uh, I mean to understand that he act, you know it's a bit like in in Amazon.com where where actually uh, the 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 website is suggesting you some books and you can tell exactly. Uh, why it's suggesting you? Um, sometimes you think it's a bit bizarre that it's suggesting me some book, but then you can get information why actually it has decided to suggesting you that. So, so this is the type of technique we're currently looking at in the, in the current version of the WizKid. I mean, techniques which I would say, con contrary to what was done on the Ibo, are much more explicit, and that would permit uh, user to get really uh, an understanding about that particular everyday AI. Yeah. So we started with a legged robot, then we went to a more abstract robot, and uh, you've also been developing interactive furniture. Uh, can you maybe give us a word on what type of interactive furniture you create? Yeah, yeah. It's it's in the last two years. I mean, uh, at the at the craft laboratory, we've been uh, uh, with um, also with the PhD students I'm supervising. Uh, uh, testing different ideas about actual tables, lamps that could become interactive uh, without being really obtrusive in the way that there would be uh, uh, like a uh, like technological device. So we have, for instance, one table, which is a table, normal table, and we use it every day in the lab, uh, but it has three tiny microphones in the middle. And based on this three tiny microphone, it actually gets um, some information about the type of conversation that goes on around it. And um, and we use a particular algorithm to, to um, actually... Um, display the type of conversation dynamics that are occurring. For instance, very concretely, if you have one person which which is speaking and monopolizing the situation, the table, uh, the, the surface around that person will get um, um, 
um, colored and it just will just will take more and more territory so there's some, some small LED lights uh, underneath the, the table that that are displaying really this type of pattern and so basically the whole idea is to show uh, something which are implicit in conversation that we may be aware or not in a more explicit way the, the table is like a mirror showing the, the the type of things happening in the conversation and what we're currently testing is whether this has an influence uh, on the conversation behavior of people and and so we have students coming to the lab almost every day uh, now to do some type of testing uh, and we and so we have different groups and we so with different type of patterns and we and we try to see statistically uh, what it change in the conversation behavior depending on, on, on when you have a conversation aware table uh, depending on what you display on it in all the robots and objects we talked about today, I see a lot of industrial potential. What is the market like right now? It's, I think, it's about opening a new. I mean, robotic has been struggling to 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 be uh, um, to have economical potential, and here it's about opening a kind of new market, which is about not so much robot like science fiction robot, but more like robotized objects or objects with AI, uh, which are like everyday objects, but which incorporate some of the uh, of the. Um, <clears throat> innovation that were that were introduced in the last 10 years in in this field and uh, and i personally believe that there is a larger market for this than actually for i would say more science fiction robot because you can touch people that would not necessarily be um, so much uh, inclined to like like science fiction like creature uh, but that may be interesting to have an interesting table or to have a computer which is in some way robotized and uh, there's a big issue whether we should call this thing robots or not from a marketing point of view uh, but I, I kind of believe that that that's a very interesting way robotics can actually enter in the room in the in, in everyday houses do you think we should call them robots I think um, I well it's difficult to tell exactly i mean robot is such a loaded word uh, it comes with all this um, science fiction symbolic and and that and people in in people's mind means something rather precise um, so it's kind of double edge i mean in some sense uh, you can benefit from that uh, fascination power and that was uh, i think um, with the eyeball that was very strong in some way the fact that you had the impression of living like uh, with a science fiction robot in some way uh, on the other end i mean it kind of traps people into um, into just thinking about this science fiction archetype so um well it's interesting with the whisket for instance i've been testing I mean, calling it a robotized computer in some cases, but just calling it an interactive computer in other cases, and just watching I mean, what propagates the best. Uh, and there have been a lot of buzz around around this uh, this subject. So, so I'm not decided completely yet on this. And I think uh, also the notion itself of a robot is kind of shifting currently, and people can understand that uh, what we can mean by robot now is not what was meant 50 years ago. Let's talk a bit about the future now. What is your Next dream robots. Um, basically, I mean, it's really my, my main goal now. Uh, um, among other things, is to develop the next version of the Whiskits. I mean, we we had the big chance of having this this first robot, which is now uh, exposed at the at the Museum of Modern Art. So we have a lot of feedback. We have it's a great user study. I mean, uh, we have thousands of people coming and seeing it, uh, and from that we learn a lot about what is efficient, what is not efficient, what is working, what is not working. So a big challenge is actually to turn 
that uh, that first prototype into something uh, which actually be more solid and more efficient and actually work on people's health. So my my personal ambition is, is to try to, to, to impact personal lives uh, of people. And so I really wish that that some of these um, uh, robotic prototypes, which are still proto um, prototypes in lab, they actually come to the market. And uh, so uh, my ambition is not to build a kind of uh, yet another dream robot, but actually find the right design and feature for a robot that will be capable of entering the home, which doesn't necessarily mean making it more complex. And I think just, just one parenthesis on this, uh, uh, one, there's a kind of tendency in, in labs to build really dream robots in the sense that they would make the robot as marvelous as possible. Whereas in some way, when you consider going to, uh, to the market, it's exactly the opposite to way you should think. It's, you should ask yourself whether each motor is necessary or not. If you remove that motor, of course, it's less good, but it's cheaper in some way. And uh, maybe you can touch more people. So, so I'm trying to have this way of thinking also now. How do you think humans will be interacting with robots in 20 years? I think the, I think basically we will not notice anymore that they are robots in some way. Uh, I'm not so convinced that we will have um, a lot of zoomorphic and humanoid robots around and that they will act like housemates. I think uh, in industry and, and design in general has showed that objects get the shapes they should have depending on their function. And so we will have, uh, as we have now, uh, Um, a different type of cleaner robot that will get exactly the, the appropriate shape for their function. And for human-robot interaction in itself, um, I'm strongly feeling about something which would be which will have just the right level of abstraction. I mean, not necessarily a robotic head uh, with uh, which is very realistic, very toy-like, but something that will just uh, touch us in the right manner with the right movement and which we will feel a presence, but which will not be a kind of minimal anthropomorphism. And that's a hard question and it's a question of design and, and we need, uh, the design space is huge to find this, this, this just like right element. But I believe um, that type of interaction will eventually come and, and by that time we may not call that robot anymore. It will just be like the new interactive system. In all areas of robotics now, where do you see the biggest potential? Um, Definitely entertainment. I mean, that's, I think robotics is going to change entertainment in a way uh, which is really, really novel, in the sense that uh, the video game industry is going to be uh, transformed by having elements which will be robotized elements, not necessarily like humanoid robots, but, but uh, robotic balls, a robotic uh, system for interaction, which will permit really to interact in the physical world uh, and to have games that are completely different from what we have now. And in terms of market, that's, that's huge. And, and that is not explored a lot anymore. I mean, we're going very slowly in that direction, but that's for me clearly the biggest potential. Thanks, Frédéric, for being here with us on Talking Robots. Thanks a lot. This concludes this episode of Talking Robots with Frédéric Kaplan. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you in two weeks. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch. <laughs>